0: Every waiting period eventually comes to an end. Christmas comes every year. As hard as that last week before Christmas is to wait, as painful as those Advent calendars can be for some people, Christmas eventually comes. The waiting period comes to an end. Vacation day comes. You wait for it for weeks, you plan for it, it seems like the time drags on while you're waiting for the day to come, but eventually the day finally comes, and you get to pack your bags and get on the airplane and stick your toes in the warm sand. Babies are eventually born, you wait for nine long months, sometimes, you know, the for the women especially, lots of changes take place, lots of physical changes, and you're getting the, the house ready, and you're anticipating it, and maybe you're nervous for it. But eventually, the baby finally comes. Every waiting period eventually comes to an end. Last week, where we left off the disciples, they were waiting for a gift. They had been meeting with Jesus, and He had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that His Father had promised. Here's what Jesus said. On one occasion, Luke tells us, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, wait here, there's a gift coming. My dad's got a present for you. He's sending it. Wait here until it comes. Told you last week they didn't have tracking numbers. They couldn't, you know, look on the internet to see where the gift was. They just had to do some good old fashioned waiting. And so that's just what they did. They waited for the gift to come. And so before we look at that gift, we're going to see what happens today when that gift finally arrived. But before we look at that, I want to take just a few minutes. I want to talk about what that gift actually was. Jesus here says that it's the Holy Spirit. They're going to be baptized. With the Holy Spirit, so we're going to look at a few things that we already know about the Holy Spirit from Scripture. Here's how we're going to start. So the question is, the Holy Spirit, what is it? Who is it? Right. This is what what is Jesus talking about when he says the Holy Spirit is going to come? It's a great question. This was, this was not a brand new concept for his apostles. They would have heard something about the Holy Spirit, as they would have read their scriptures, as they would have read through what we call the Old Testament. It would have been their Bible, the story of Israel, as, as God led this people from being uh, slaves in Egypt all the way as they, they came and occupied their own land. They had stories, their heroes who, who walked with God, who led them through various challenges. And, and oftentimes, Scripture tells us that these These individuals, these men and women, were empowered by this thing called the Spirit, this person called the Spirit. In in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Spirit was representative of God's power and presence with His people. God would, would, would send His Spirit, and His Spirit would sit on certain individuals, and it would empower them to do great things. It would empower them, oftentimes, to speak for God. Through the Spirit of God, God would work in men and women and He would give them words to speak. We call that prophecy. They would speak on God's behalf as they were empowered by the Spirit. Oftentimes the Spirit would empower them with supernatural wisdom. They would know what to do in a given situation because the Spirit of God resting upon them would communicate with them and and give them supernatural wisdom. At times, the Spirit would empower them for supernatural workings of miracles, as they would would do incredible things, as they would heal people, as they would work incredible works that were only only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit resting on them. There's lots of examples of this when Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph, the the son of uh, one of the... Twelve brothers, uh, the son of Israel, uh, is working, he's interpreting dreams, and he says that he does so by the Spirit of God, and Pharaoh identifies this. He says, who can find someone in whom the Spirit of God is? We read stories of people like Moses, where the Spirit of God is working mightily in Moses as he works many mighty miracles to bring deliverance to his people. People like Elijah and Elisha, who were prophets for God, who helped lead and judge God's people as they were... Figuring out this new way of life in in this new land. And there's a conversation between the two of them. One is going to be passing off his mantle, transferring his leadership to the other. And so he says, what can I do for you? And he responds, give me a double portion of your spirit. Right? So in the Old Testament, we see that the spirit was limited. It was only for certain individuals. And there were different amounts. And it was conditional. People would pray, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And so in the Old Testament, we get a, a tiny picture of what the spirit was like as the Spirit works with certain individuals, empowering them. But it was limited in scope, it was limited in availability, and it was on condition for certain people. But as we continue through the story, we see that God had a plan that eventually the Spirit that was only available for certain individuals, for certain tasks, would become available for all people. We find this in the book of Joel. Joel was a prophet ...who spoke and wrote for God probably sometime after the Babylonian exile. If you're familiar with your Old Testament history, you know that God's people had forsaken God. They had gone after other gods. They had forsaken the covenant that God had made with them. And so God had no choice but to give them up, to give them over to a a foreign oppressor. His his protection had to leave because they had abandoned God. And so as they were carried away into Babylon, it it was a symbol of judgment... But God brought them back eventually. After they had repented, God brought them back from the land of Babylon. And He promises them a new future. And this is what Joel says will be a part of that future. This is Joel chapter 2. God, speaking through Joel, says, I will pour out My Spirit on who? All people. Joel is speaking to the future. He's saying that while previously... My spirit has only been available for certain individuals, for certain tasks. In the future, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Our young men will see visions. Even on my servants, God says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Speaking to the future, God says, there's going to be a day. When I am going to pour out my spirit, my spirit that empowers, my spirit that teaches, my spirit that causes people to prophesy and speak and do wonders in my name, I will pour that out on all people at some time in the future. And so God's people were waiting for this event. They were waiting for this day on which God was going to finally pour out his spirit, not just on individuals, but on all people. Eventually, as the story continues, someone comes along by the name of Jesus. Jesus becomes representative of what God wants to do to restore His original plan. As we study the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see that this is what Jesus. Uh, this is how Jesus ministered. This is what Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel in Luke chapter three. He says, "When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in bodily form." Like a dove, and a voice from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, we see that Jesus becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus becomes representative of what God wants to do in all people. He becomes the model for ministry, what it means to lead a spirit filled life and a spirit filled ministry. In the next chapter, Luke begins this way. He says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So Luke tells us that Jesus' ministry was characterized by being full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. That his ministry, all of the things that he did, he did because he was full of the Spirit of God. The miracles that he worked, the teachings that he taught, the wisdom that he had was because he was full of this Holy Spirit from God that empowered him to do incredible things. Years later, the Apostle Peter, looking back on the ministry of Jesus, had this to say. We find it in Acts chapter 10. Peter says this, he says, you know what happened throughout the province of Judea. He says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and what? Power. Peter is telling us there's a connection between being filled with the spirits and being given spiritual power. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how He went around what? Doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. So there's a connection here between the presence of God and the power of God in ministry and service to people. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, went around doing good and ministering and delivering those who were under oppression by the devil because God was with him through this Spirit. So this is the, the observation we make of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of And the power of God. From the Old Testament to the New, the Holy Spirit is the presence and the power of God. In the Old Testament, it was with certain individuals as they were doing certain tasks to lead God's people from one stage to the next. In the ministry of Jesus, it becomes representative of of what somebody full of the Spirit is capable of doing. Jesus becomes the model of Spirit-filled ministry as He walks in the presence and the power of God. Jesus himself tried to teach his apostles about this spirit before he left. Sometime after they had finished their last supper together, he was gathered together with them. uh, And he tries to teach them about this spirit that's going to come. And, And here are some things that he says. This is in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Talking to his disciples, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So there's a lot packed in here. But Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to go away soon. But when I go away, I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send you another advocate. Another advocate to help you. Now this word advocate in Greek, it means advocate. It also means helper. And it means advisor. So Jesus is saying, I've been with you. I've been your advocate. I've been your helper. I've been your advisor. But I'm going to go away. And when I go away, my Father is going to send you another advocate to help you. Another helper to help you. Another advisor to advise you. And be with you forever. And this advocate, Jesus says, is going to be the spirit of truth. Another term for the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them for what's going to come eventually. He goes on, he says, the world cannot accept him, cannot accept this advocate because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be, what? In you. Jesus is saying this spirit, this advocate has been with you. But at some point soon, this spirit is not only going to be with you, is going to dwell in you. You're going to be indwelt by this advocate, by the spirit who's going to help you, who's going to guide you, who's going to advise you. He goes on. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I've got to go away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I will come to you. Now, this this is significant, right? Jesus had just said that the spirit is going to come. But now Jesus is saying, I am going to come to you. So he's he's connecting himself with the spirit that's going to come eventually. Listen to this. He says, before long, the world will not see me anymore because I'm going to leave physically. He says, but you, talking to his apostles, his disciples, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Then he says, On that day, at some day in the future when this happens, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am where? In you. So Jesus, connecting himself with the Spirit, says, after he goes away, something is going to happen. And then God is going to send the Spirit, and in some way, in some form or fashion, this Spirit is going to be representative of Jesus, not just with them, but in them. The Apostle Paul, writing later, says explicitly, he says, you have Christ in you. The Spirit is later referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Somehow, in some way, the Spirit that indwelt Christ, and we don't know exactly how this happens when Jesus goes to be with his Father. We don't know the metaphysics of what exactly happens, but somehow Jesus leaves physically to go and be with his Father. And then somehow that Spirit then comes and dwells in them to empower them. Jesus continues teaching them for a while, and it becomes apparent that they're, they're getting a little sad. They're getting a little upset that Jesus is going to leave them physically. And so Jesus, again, he tries to clarify, and this is what he says in John chapter 16. He says, very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. At which point his disciples are saying, hold on, wait, what? Now, here's where this gets a little more interesting. This word that says good, it is for your good that I'm going away. uh, It's also, in the Greek, it means beneficial. It means advantageous. And it means better. Better. Right? So lots of times this word is used in the New Testament. It's translated as better. So one way we could read this, what what might even be a, a better translation, is Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, it is better for you that I'm going away. And for his disciples, they would have said, no, 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 it's not. You went away before, and it didn't go very well for us. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. listen, it really is. It's better for you that I am going away. And here's why. He says, unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, the advisor, the spirit will not come to you. Jesus says, in order for you to receive this gift, in order for the advocate, the helper, the spirit to come to you, I have to go away. If I don't go away, you don't get the advocate. He says, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so his disciples are are, are confused at this point. Jesus, but, but what about all of the things that you've been doing? You've been leading us all along. You've been teaching us. If you go away, how are we going to know what to do? How are we going to know how to carry on this mission without you? Jesus says, if I go away, I'm going to send you this advocate. And and here's what blows my mind. Here's what blows my mind. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there is something better than the physical presence of Jesus with us. Get this. There is something better than the physical presence of Jesus with us. And that is the spiritual presence of Jesus in us. Now... Think about this, right? How good was the physical presence of Jesus with them? It was good, right? I mean, it was good. They were, he was doing cool things. They were a part of wonderful ministry. They were seeing the kingdom of God in ways they had never seen it before. The physical presence of Jesus with them was good. And yet Jesus is saying that there was something even better. Something even better. And that would be his his spiritual presence in them. His spiritual presence in them. Somewhere else in John, Jesus says this. He says, whoever believes on me, the works that I do, will they do also. But not only that, Jesus says, greater works than these. Jesus is saying that something even better is possible. But in order for you to receive that, I've got to go away. And so this is why Jesus tells his followers, this is why Jesus tells his disciples that they need to wait for this gift from the Father. He's saying, I've got a mission for you to accomplish. I've got a worldwide mission for you to accomplish. And it's going to take some spiritual power. You're not going to be able to accomplish this on your own. So that's why Jesus says, I need you to wait. I know that you're excited. I know that you want to get to work. But I need you to wait for this presence. Here's what Jesus says. We're going to go back to Acts He said to them, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power. He says you're going to receive supernatural power. The Greek word here for power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Right, Jesus is saying there's going to be spiritual dynamite coming your way that's going to empower you to do what? Be my witnesses. Not only here in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But in order for you to be my witnesses, in order for you to accomplish this mission that I'm sending you out on, you need to wait for the power that's coming, wrapped up in this gift of the Holy Spirit that my Father is sending you, which is going to be my Spirit Not only with you, but in you. So they waited. And they waited. And a day came, and another day came, and they didn't know what to expect, and they didn't know how long it would be. They just stayed faithful, they stayed gathered together, they prayed together, and they waited. And sometimes when you don't know how long you're waiting, it can seem like an eternity. But ten days later, something happened. Here's what Luke says. He says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, those of us 2,000 years later look at Pentecost, and we refer to Pentecost as the birthday of the church, but that wasn't always what Pentecost was. Pentecost was a Jewish festival festival. Pentecost means 50th, because it was the 50th day after Passover. Around the festival of Passover, there would be a a ceremony where they would offer the first fruits as an offering to God. And then 50 days later, they would have this this celebration called Pentecost. Also called, in in Judaism, the Feast of Weeks, because it was 7 weeks after Pentecost, right? 7 weeks is 49 days, the next day is Pentecost, the 50th. And so this festival, this Feast of Weeks in Judaism was a festival where Jews from all over would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this big celebration. It was one of the major festivals that they celebrated every year. Jews from all over would come together to Jerusalem to celebrate two things. The first thing they were celebrating was the harvest, right? They believed that God was behind the harvest, that they were were able to celebrate and harvest their crops because God had caused them to grow. And so they would celebrate, once again, God's faithfulness as they celebrated this new harvest of new crops that they were able to bring in. And they had a a big festival. But not only that, this festival, this Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, was a celebration and a recognition of God's initial covenant with Israel. Because as we read the story of the Old Testament, we see that, that God, through the Passover story, led God's people out from Egypt... They wandered through the wilderness for 40 days, and then they gathered together at Mount Sinai. And when they gathered together at Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. And He established His covenant with them. Established the fact that they would now be a people in unique relationship to God. And so the celebration, the celebration of Pentecost, the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, was a celebration of God giving His covenant to the people. And so what we see now, as they waited for this day, the the day of Pentecost finally came. Thousands of Jews had come in from all around to celebrate this festival. This festival that celebrated God's initial covenant with Israel. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The city would have been hopping with all of these Jews traveling in to celebrate this festival. Here's what happened. Luke tells us, suddenly the sound like of a blowing wind of uh, like a the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting the sound of a violent wind fills this entire house something supernatural is taking place it gets their attention and it says, they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire was symbolic of the presence of God. The early Israelites were led by a pillar of fire when God made Himself known there was often fire involved. We're seeing that God's presence is, is powerful here in a new way. And these, and these tongues of fire separated and rest on each of them. The power in the presence of God is filling the room. And Luke tells us all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. What Joel had prophesied centuries before is coming to pass. God is pouring out His Spirit in a brand new way. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You won't believe what happens next. So, don't miss next week. <laughs> Actually, two weeks till we get back with this. I'm going to say a word of prayer. Austin's going to come up and get ready to lead us in a beautiful song. Uh, after that song, I'll come up. God, you have always been at work. From the very beginning, you've had a plan. And we have not always been cooperative in your plan. Throughout history, us stubborn humans have tried to get in the way of your plan, but you have been patient all along. You have patiently worked with your people. Father, you promised a day when you would pour out your spirit on all people. A spirit that would empower them to live for you to witness for you, to demonstrate your presence and your power. Father, today we're gathered here in this place because there were people who were obedient to you, who listened to your instruction, who allowed themselves to be filled with your Spirit, who were willing to change and adapt to the way that they had always done things and listen to the new, fresh thing that you were doing on that day. Father, as we study this, we pray that you would continue And we know that you do to fill us with your spirit, to lead us with your spirit. We know that you've called us on a mission, a mission that's impossible for us to accomplish without the power of your spirit with us. So Father, we pray once again that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would empower us with your spirit, that we would be led by your spirit to carry out the mission that you have called us to carry out. So, Father, as we go forth this week, we pray for your power. We pray for your presence. We ask that you help us to remember that you have not left us alone, that we're not in this by ourselves, that, that the, the, the power and presence of you and your Son together dwell within us individually and as the body of Christ. Father, let us not be a powerless people. Let us be a people filled with and led by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.